0: Good morning, New Life. It's good to be back with you. My name is Chris. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of your pastors here at New Life Church. And this morning we're going to be continuing in our All In message series. And we've just been talking about the last several weeks about the ways and how we can go all in with Jesus in 2018. And we've talked about the fact that Jesus... Uh, never in, invited us to add him to our list of really important things in our life. He invited us to make him our lives. And so for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've seen that the first steps in going all in with Christ are to become people of his word and a people of prayer. And so we've, we've talked about this rhythm of word and prayer, this, this powerful connection, this relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Dad as we really just immerse ourselves in the truths of His Word and we respond back to Him speaking to us in in prayer and how powerful and life-transforming that can be in our lives and to those around us. And this morning we're going to talk about another way that we can go all in with Jesus in 2018. It's probably something that almost all of us really dislike and, and we, we're really just not good at it or we think we're not good at it. And frankly, for most of us, we just avoid it altogether. And that is sharing our faith in Jesus with other people. Anybody else get a little queasy in their stomach just thinking about that? No, yeah, I'm the only sinner here. All all right, that's that's good. Right, but a couple of sinners out there with me. But I I just, you know, I hear the word evangelism, and and I think about sharing my faith with people that I don't know, and I just almost want to throw up. You know, now there are there are a few of you who have the gift of the evangelist, and I want you to know this morning that I hate you. I hate you. Some of you could just sit down with anybody, a stranger on the plane, and the conversation just is natural and comfortable, and you just, like a skilled craftsman, you guide it right to the gospel, and you lead a lot of people to Jesus, and I would give my left arm for that. And look, I, I'm the guy, just confession time, I'm the guy who gets on a plane, and I close my eyes and just pray nobody talks to me. My you know, like God... Uh, God, please help this guy not talk to me. I don't, I just, <laughs> I want to take a nap. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired. And the truth of the matter is, I just, I don't like being uncomfortable. And sometimes spiritual conversations can be uncomfortable. But what if, what if, what if they didn't have to be that way? What if there was a more natural way to introduce people to Jesus? What if, what if sharing our faith didn't have to feel like we we're going to get a root canal? Now, most of us, um, most of you, rather, um, probably have heard this quote that I'm about to share with you. Some of you have maybe even used it on your Facebook wall. Some of you maybe have had it on a bumper sticker at some point in your car. Um, here's a quote. Preach the gospel. We're going to put it on the screen, I think. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Now, that quote is uh, attributed to Francis of Assisi, uh, even though there's no shred of evidence that he ever said anything like it. Um, Listen, to be fair, there there is some truth in in that quote. We we should live our lives in such a way that people see that there's just intrinsically, inherently something different about our lives, that that, that we live our lives in a, a different way. We should. We should live our lives in a different way. The problem with that quote is not that it's false. The problem with that quote is that it's incomplete. Now, I, look, I, I like that quote. Really, I do. I, I really wish that's all that Jesus uh, had called us to do. That would be pretty comfortable. And I think a lot of us like quotes like that because we kind of feel like it lets us off the hook, right? But, like I don't have to feel guilty about never telling anybody about Jesus. It makes me kind of feel that way. But is that really the plan that God has for his sons and daughters to to kind of live our lives that way, just hoping that our life will somehow transmit by osmosis or something the gospel of jesus and people will understand and come to believe it's a nice thought it's just not true turn to uh romans chapter 10 with me if you have a bible we'll be uh, moving uh, around a little bit in the scriptures this morning but we're going to start in paul's letter to the church in rome chapter 10 we're going to begin in verse 9 And this is the Apostle Paul writing to these young believers in this metropolis, this huge Roman city. And Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen to verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? A better translation of that Greek word would be proclaiming. So Paul's not talking about what I'm doing right here this morning, standing up, speaking to you, preaching to you. He's talking more of a proclamation, just sharing in the natural rhythm of your life. Verse 15, And how are they to preach or proclaim, rather, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or proclaim the good news. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying to these young believers in Rome is this. There is one pathway to God, one only, and that's Jesus. Anybody who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That's the exclusivity and the inclusivity of the gospel rolled all into one verse. There's only one way to God. There's only one pathway to God. That's Jesus, but listen, it is available to anyone, it's available to everyone throughout the corridor of time and history who would believe in him and confess him as Lord. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, it doesn't matter your nationality, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter what religion you grew up in, the good news is that God loves sinners so much that he sent his son to pay for our sins and that he rose again on the third day to prove that he had defeated death and evil. This is good news for everyone who would believe it and confess it. Now, do you know what that, uh, that that word everyone in the Greek do you know what it actually means? It means everyone. It means, I know that that's that's really deep, but it, it actually means it means everybody. And then Paul Paul asks some rhetorical questions to kind of drive home his, his point to these young believers in Rome. And Paul goes, look. How can people call on someone that they don't believe in? How can they even believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him? And how are they going to hear about him unless you go and tell them? And then Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus. They're beautiful because they're delivering the life-giving, life-saving medicine to people with the terminal illness of their own sin and separation from God. Beautiful feet, healing feet, feet bringing hope. Believer, are your feet like that this morning? Would God say of your feet that, that they're beautiful, that they bring hope? Or would he say of your life this morning that you're more like a gospel grinch? Just hoarding the, hoarding the good news of Jesus all to yourself. Just, just like a Grinch. Just, just keeping it to yourself. you with the good news of Jesus. And Paul finishes his thought in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Life-giving faith in Jesus comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word of Jesus. Now, let, let me just say, uh, we, we have to be careful this morning not to try to put God in a, in a box. God doesn't live in a box made by human hands. And I think as soon as we try to, try, try to craft some sort of box that we think God should live in, that we're kind of comfortable with, he, he, he shatters those boxes. And so there's a mystery, certainly, to the way that God operates. And I think that we should, we should embrace that mystery. So can God save people apart from his word? Can God save people apart from somebody else telling them about Jesus? Yes, he can, and he does. I've told you stories uh, in the past about God saving people, particularly in the Middle East right now, through dreams and visions of Jesus. Praise God that he saves people through the miraculous. But Paul was saying, and I think he's right, the primary way people believe in Jesus is through hearing about him from another person. So I'm just curious, out of, out of the, the Christians who are here in this room this morning, by a show of hands, how many of you became believers in Jesus because someone, whether it was a grandparent, a mom, a dad, a friend in college, a pastor, somebody at some point in your life told you about Jesus and you believed? Just raise your hand if that's your experience. You came to faith that way. Okay, that's like 90 plus percent of us. listen. Sharing our faith is the primary way that people know Jesus. And so then that begs the question, why are we so hesitant to share the greatest news ever? Why are we so fearful of it? Why do we recoil at the opportunity to share the greatest news ever? I want to share with you just a couple of stories from the Gospels this morning, and then we'll kind of wrap up with a conclusion and a a challenge. So go over to Mark's Gospel. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Mark's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 2. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. So Mark says this, And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Okay, this is a pretty incredible event that Mark records for us. Jesus has returned to the city of Capernaum. People hear that Jesus is back. Jesus, at this point, had developed quite a reputation as being a powerful speaker, a man of God. Some people were saying he was a prophet. Some people were saying that he's the Messiah, that he's God. Um, He's doing these miracles. And so everywhere Jesus went, the word would kind of spread. Hey, Jesus is in town. This guy's in town. And so people would come out. You know, he's kind of a local celebrity of sorts at this point. And so he's back in Capernaum, and the the crowd begins to swell around him. Jesus is probably in a home at this point. Scholars, many scholars believe he probably was in the Apostle Peter's home for this particular event. Peter had a home in Capernaum, so that's probably where he was. And Mark says that there's no room even, even at the door. So, kind of the picture that we get is that there are people kind of like, just trying to peer through the windows, peek through the windows. Perhaps they're climbing up on trees beside the house like Zacchaeus, remember him? Just trying to to get a glimpse of Jesus or just trying to hear, man, like what's Jesus saying in there? What's he saying? I can barely hear. What's going on in there? And Mark says that Jesus is he's preaching the Word. So he's opening up the Old Testament Scriptures and and he's preaching. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these four guys show up with a man, a friend, presumably, who's paralyzed. And they can't get to Jesus. The crowd is too big. All the doors are blocked. The windows are, are blocked. And so Mark says that they, they, they literally climb up on top of the roof, and they start tearing the roof apart. Could you just imagine this scene? These guys just climbing up there, pulling this paralyzed guy up there. They just start ripping off shingles or the thatch and mud or whatever it was. And then they just, they just kind of lower their friend right down in front of Jesus. Clearly, these people believed that Jesus was a solution to their friend's condition. And they were willing to do whatever it took to introduce their friend, to get their friend in front of Jesus. Now, there's a lesson for us even there, isn't there? Believer, do we have the same sense of urgency in getting our friends who are far from God, who need to be healed in front of Jesus as these four guys did? Just imagine, just imagine the scene. Just put yourself in the, in the scene here, right? Jesus is standing there, huge crowd. He's in this house, probably maybe fit between 50 and 100 people in the house, and then the crowd outside of the house. So hundreds of people, and Jesus is just bringing it, man. He's just laying out. He's preaching. The crowd is hanging on his every word, and then all of a sudden this dude just starts do, 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 just coming down, right? The guy's just laying there right in front of Jesus, man. What would you say? <laughs> what would your reaction be? You're just bringing in here. This, this guy just laying there, just looking at you right now. All right? Now that would be pretty astonishing, wouldn't it? What's Jesus going to say? Is Jesus going to say, hello? Good morning. Scoot over so I can see the crowd. Is he going to go, security, please? Please remove the elevator man from my my presence so I can start preaching again. Verse 5. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus looks up. He sees the four friends. He sees the hole in the roof. He looks down at the paralyzed guy, and he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that is a surprising response, isn't it? Because his friends brought him there for one purpose, presumably, and that's so that he would be physically healed. That probably is what the crowd is expecting. Hey, this Jesus guy—he's got this power from God. He's healing people. All this stuff. He's probably going to heal this guy right there. That's not what he—that's ha- not what he says. That's not what happens. They're probably the crowd's probably disappointed. But hear this: Jesus was teaching him and the crowd and us today that our greatest need is not physical. Our greatest need is not physical healing. It's not financial. It's none of that stuff that we tend to think is so important. He was teaching us that this guy's greatest need and our greatest need is that our sins are forgiven. That we're made right with God. And Jesus is the only one who can do that for you or for anybody else. This is astonishing what Jesus has just said here. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Let's see the reaction. Now some of the scribes, this is kind of like the religious people of the day, were sitting there questioning in their hearts, "Why does this man speak like that?" He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these religious leaders, man, they're, they're ticked off. I mean, they, they've got themselves worked up into a, a soapy lather of anger and frustration, and they're just asking the question, man, who does this guy think he is?" This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Of course, they were, they were right. Only God can forgive sins. But they miss that Jesus was forgiving sins precisely because he was and is God. They totally miss it. And so they're sitting there in their little religious, holy huddle, fuming mad. Let's pick it up in verse 8. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, and he went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, we never saw anything like this. That's the understatement of the day, right? We ain't never seen nothing like this. This is crazy. That paralyzed, dude, laying on the floor. We know he's paralyzed. We've seen him for years paralyzed. Jesus just told him to get up. The dude got up, grabbed his bed, and walked home. we never seen nothing like this. And Jesus says, "You listen, you think it's easier for me to forgive sins than to heal somebody?" Watch this. Son, rise up, take your bed and go home." The guy gets up, and the crowd is just amazed. Mark says that they start to praise God and said, "We've never seen anything like this. That's right. You've never seen anything like that because you have just encountered Jesus. God in human flesh. And he's a game changer. He changes everything. And I think we can learn a lot from these four friends bringing their paralytic friend to Jesus. The first lesson for those of us who are believers in the room is this. Get people in front of Jesus. Get people in front of Jesus. Get your friends, get your relatives, get your coworkers. Expose them to Jesus. Amen. Do whatever it takes short of falling into sin and destruction yourself. So in other words, we're not saying, hey, go do heroin with the heroin addict. Don't fall into destruction yourself. But if you have to climb up a roof and tear off some shingles and look like a fool in the process, do whatever it takes. That's Paul said in Romans 10, how are they going to hear if nobody tells them? How are they going to hear? How are they going to believe if you don't go and tell them? How are they going to be healed at the heart level unless we are willing to pay the price? Unless we're willing to make the investment to have coffee, to invite them to church, to go fishing with them, to do whatever it takes to get them in front of Jesus, to tell them about the hope that they can have in Jesus. Mark tells another story right after this one. We don't have time to read it, and so I'm going to summarize it for you. Jesus is walking by the sea, Perhaps the very next day after he heals this paralyzed guy and forgives his sins, maybe it was a week later, we don't know, but sometime soon after he's walking by the sea and the crowd swells again everywhere Jesus goes. The crowds are just mesmerized by his teaching and by the power with which he lives and they're following him around and Jesus is teaching them as he walks. And as he's walking and teaching, he comes upon this tax collector's booth with a man, a tax collector named Levi, sitting there. Now, we've talked about before in the past how despised, how completely despised tax collectors were in this culture. They were considered sellouts because they were sellouts to the occupying Roman Empire. They would rob their own Jewish countrymen to line their own pockets with wealth. So, I mean, these people, these tax collectors were just considered dogs in their society. I mean, you would just assume spit on one, then, then look at one. That's how hated they were in this society. And Jesus comes upon this tax booth with this hated man named Levi, and he looks down at this guy, and he says something to him that would have absolutely stunned this crowd. Don't you love that about Jesus? You don't ever know what's about to come out of his mouth. You don't ever know what he's about to do, right? Being with Jesus must have been like living in a suspense movie, just like on the edge of your seat all the time. It would have been great, right? So Jesus looked at this guy, and he says to this hated tax collector named Levi, he says, hey, Levi, Get up, come follow me. Come, come be with me. I want you to be one of my disciples. You, you come with me. People's jaws must have just hit the floor. Like, did you, did you hear what Jesus just said? Jesus just invited scum of the earth, Levi, to be his disciple. And even more surprising, Levi actually gets up from his tax booth and begins to follow him. See, nobody would have been more surprised by this invitation than Levi himself. Levi would have been completely used to being rejected and marginalized, spit on, excluded from everything in the society that he lived in, especially by the religious crowd. Especially by the religious crowd. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, the one who forgives sins and makes paralyzed people walk, and he comes right up to him and he says, Levi, You're valuable to me. Society may hate you. They may marginalize you and not value you. But you're valuable to me. So why don't you get up and you come and you live your life with me? You come and you be my disciple. Mark tells us that Levi then goes home and he throws a dinner party that night. Mark tells us that at the dinner party were many tax collectors and sinners. So the idea there is there are probably prostitutes there. They're probably criminals, so just think like the Jewish mafia, they're all there. All the rejects and lowlifes of society, they're at at Levi's dinner party. Guess who is there at the dinner party reclining at the table with Levi himself? Jesus and his disciples. (laughs) Isn't that something? The Pharisees, these, these religious guys, they get ticked off again, right? These people must have just been miserable to be around, right? They're what I call lemon suckers. You ever sucked on a lemon? Look at that face. That's why they walked around like that all the time. They're just lemon suckers. Just mad at everything, looking at something to get mad about. And they say, why is he eating with these sinners? Why is he eating with these sinners? Doesn't he know they're prostitutes? Doesn't he know there's a Jewish mafia in there? They're criminals. They're tax collectors. Why is he eating with them, not with us? Jesus overhears this conversation, and he goes, listen. Listen, those who are well don't need a doctor. Sick people need a doctor. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinner. You see, the religious leaders of that day had the same faulty idea that I see in a lot of churches today. And that idea is this. Man, we we can't contaminate. Once we become believers, we can't contaminate ourselves with those sinners out there. As if we're not still sinners. Sinners as if God didn't redeem us from the same thing that he wants to redeem them from. I heard a story just this this past week, blew my mind. Uh, Church here in in Asheville, who asked a man, a guest, not to come back to their church because he had tattoos on his arm. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Church, that's not Christ-like, that's stupidity. That's satanic. And by the way, when Jesus said that he came for the sinner, for the the sick, that's every single one of us. Whether we realize it and confess it or not, the only person who he won't help is the self-righteous person who says, I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I'm a good enough person by myself. When I stand before my creator one day on that great judgment day, I'm good enough to stand on my own merits and my own works. I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. Maybe you need him. I don't need him. So if you're self-righteous and you reject Jesus, he's not going to force you to love him. He's not going to force you to follow him. He came for the sick. And that's every single one of us. We're we're all heart sick, sin sick, broken. We need a Savior to come and forgive us and put our lives back together. I love this quote by uh, Tim Chester. Uh, Chester's the author of a book called A Meal with Jesus. Listen to what Chester says. He says, when Jesus eats with Levi, the message is clear. Jesus has come for losers. Jesus has come for people on the margins. Jesus has come for people who feel left out. Jesus has come for people who have made a mess of their lives. Can anybody relate to that? I can. Jesus has come for ordinary people, the people who do not make it into the history books. Jesus has come for you. Friend, understand this this morning. Jesus has come for you. Can you just imagine what these these tax collectors and prostitutes and criminals, these these thugs, can you just imagine what they were thinking when they heard Jesus say this? Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He came for us? He'll, He'll forgive even me? Are you telling me there's hope for us too? You mean that God doesn't hate us? That he actually loves us so much that he came to rescue us? That he'll eat with us, he'll live with us, that he'll love us. Are you telling me that? You see, they had never heard anything like this before in their lives. Jesus was absolutely blowing the lid off of their preconceived notions about who God was. Now notice, Jesus never condoned their sins, did he? Right? Jesus didn't say, hey, prostitutes, keep doing your thing. Right? He didn't go to the, he didn't, he didn't go to the Jewish mafia and say, hey, Keep busting up kneecaps. It's all good. Just come hang out with me at dinner. That's not what he said. He didn't condone their sins. But he also never shied away from going into messy people's lives and offering hope, forgiveness, and love. Never. Not once. Not once. Do you know that Levi's Greek name was Matthew? Back in those days, oftentimes they would have a Hebrew name. They would have a Greek name. Kind of weird to us, but it was a part of their culture at the time. So, Levi's name was also Matthew, the same Matthew, scholars believe, that wrote the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in our New Testament. This guy's life was completely revolutionized by Jesus. And here's the truth that we can't miss in all of this, church Jesus can change everybody, he can change anybody if he can take a tax collector and turn him into an apostle who writes a gospel, if he can turn a murderer like the apostle Paul into a man that just exhausted his life in God's kingdom, nobody is out of the reach or grasp of God. Nobody. 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 In church, just like, just like the friends of the paralyzed man, just like Jesus himself, Our call is to go to them. Our call is to go to them. And church, hear me, this is our our third and final truth. We have to be where people are. We have to be where the people are. If we're going to introduce them, get them in front of Jesus, we have to be in their lives in order to love them like Jesus and then tell them why we're loving them the way that we love them. And that last part is important, lest they believe that we're just great people. (laughs) Because we're not, right? We've been loved by a great God. And we're living our lives as an overflow of that love. Listen, one reason that we don't plan a gazillion events here at New Life, the reason that we don't have events every Sunday night and Wednesday night, every single week, is not because we're lazy. It's because we want to leave enough margin in your life to do what Jesus actually told you to do. To go where people are. To go to the neighborhood cookout. To have your neighbors over for, for meals. To go to the park. Go where the people are. Don't be one of those weird Christians that only steps foot out of your house to go to a Bible study or a prayer meeting. Be friendly. Invite people into your life. Invite them into the natural rhythms of your life with the purpose of exposing them to Jesus. And again, not in a weird way. You don't have to go up to your neighbor and say, hey, brother, I'd like to have thee over to dinner to expose thee to the gospel so that thou might believest and not burneth and helleth forevereth. Don't be weird like that. All right, we're gonna be weird enough just because we believe in God and we believe in a guy who died 2,000 years ago and rose from the dead. Don't add the weird religious junk to it. Don't be weird about it. Just get into people's lives and talk about what you value. Talk about how Jesus has changed your life. Talk about how he's transformed your marriage. What he's done in your kid's life. Talk about what's important to you. Now, last time I looked this up, it's been a couple years, maybe different now. Probably not, though. Last time I looked it up. Over 80% of Buncombe County, that's our county, right? That's Asheville, that's where we live. Over 80% of Buncombe County is unchurched. Unchurched. They never go to church, they don't have a church family. I think we safely can assume that the vast majority of those people, the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of those people are far from God. They're far from God, and most of them are heading for a Christless eternity. And I want you to hear something. When you hear something, these people are your friends. These people are your coworkers. They're your family members. They're your relatives. They're your classmates. So believer, who is going to tell them about Jesus? If not you, then who? If not you, then who? I want to close with a couple of stories and a challenge. I recently heard about a man named George Sanders Some of you guys may remember Sanders. Uh, He was very famous in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Hollywood guy. He was an actor. He was a singer-songwriter. He was an author. He was rich. He was famous. He dated and married some of the most beautiful uh, women in the world. And yet in 1972, alone, by himself, in a hotel in Spain, he took his own life. I want to read you a part of his suicide note before he took his own life. This is what Sanders, the man who had it all, said before he killed himself. Dear world, I am leaving because I am bored. I feel I have lived long enough. I'm leaving you with your worries in this sweet cesspool. Good luck. And then he killed himself man who had everything this world tells us will make us happy died alone in a hotel room in Spain with no hope and no purpose that's the first story second story is this most of you guys know that before I came here I was a a mission pastor for a number of years one of the things we did was we housed and fed homeless women in the city for a week every year one night, I was rushing over to get the, the meal that our community group had prepared for these homeless ladies over to them. And I, th- I think that I was uh, running late. And I, was, I just remember being in a hurry. And I just, I just wanted to get in there, drop the food off, and, and get back. So I think our community group was going to do something. I can't even remember what it was. But I, my mind wasn't in the right place. I was just trying to get in there, get out. And uh, there, one of the homeless ladies struck up a conversation with me. And, I, I just stopped what I was doing, and, and I just listened to her. And for probably the next 30 minutes, she just unfolded her life uh, for me. Just told me everything that had gone on into her life, everything that had led up to the point that she was at at that point in her life, being homeless with nothing but the clothes on her back. I can remember we, we, we ended up uh, outside the building uh, talking, I think she because she wanted to, to smoke while we talked. And uh, I ended up having the opportunity to pray with this homeless lady, and she gave her life to Jesus outside, smoking a cigarette in the cold. <laughs> right? So we have, we have a man who had it all, George Sanders, had everything, and yet without Jesus, he actually had nothing at the end of his life. We have a homeless woman with nothing but the clothes on her back, and in Jesus, she found everything. So church, what is God asking us to do? As his children, as his sons and his daughters, how how should we live our lives? What should our lives be about? What would she, what would she, what would she, how can we give our lives away to something greater than just living our lives the way that we do? As we close this morning, as the band comes, I want you to understand that Jesus has come for those who are far from him. How are they going to hear unless we tell them? Over 80% of Buncombe County. How are they going to hear unless we go and tell them? If we're not in their lives. Maybe we need to flip the question around. Because I think a lot of us live off of fear-based questions in our mind. And so I know I do. These are the questions that we typically have. What if I tell them about my faith in Jesus and they laugh at me? What if I tell them about Jesus and they reject him, reject me? What if they don't don't want to hear that? What if it makes me feel uncomfortable? Maybe we need to switch the question around. And instead of asking fear-based questions, maybe we should ask, what's going to happen to them if I don't tell them? Maybe we should be asking, do I I love them enough to do whatever it takes to expose them to Jesus? Just like the four friends of that paralyzed man did. Will I go into messy places with messy people like Jesus did with Levi? And for you, on that final day, when you stand before your creator and you give an account for your life, Will he say to you, will he look down at your feet and say, son, daughter, you have beautiful feet. You have beautiful feet. You brought hope and you brought life and you brought Christ. Or will he look at you and say, you lived your life like a gospel grinch, like a hoarder, like a hoarder of the good news of the medicine that could save your friends' souls for eternity. What's he going to say to us, believer? Friend, you have beautiful feet, or you are a hoarder of the good news. So here's my challenge to you this morning, for those of you who are here and you're Christians, you're already followers of Christ. I want to ask you to commit to exposing three people to Jesus this year. Three people, not 300, not 3,000. You could do three. Whether that's by just sharing your story about how Jesus has changed your life or whether that's by inviting them here so they can hear about Christ here. The point is you're going to commit to exposing three people to Jesus this year. So right now, in the silence of your own heart and mind, I want to just invite you to bow your heads for a minute. We're just going to do this for one minute. You should have gotten a bulletin when you came in. I'm going to ask you to grab that bulletin. So if you got one, grab it now. All right, we're going to do a little exercise. I want you to pray for one minute, and I want you to ask God to give you three people currently in your life. could be friends, relatives, coworkers, and you're going to commit to doing whatever it takes, just like the friends of the paralytic, to get them in front of Jesus this year. You pray right now, just one minute. Write three names down, and then we'll close. Father, help us not be people driven by fear. God, help us to be bold like Jesus was bold. God, help us to be bold like the friends of that paralyzed man were bold. God, help us invite others into our lives just to show them your love and to speak to them about Jesus and the hope that they can have in him too. God, would you give us more people this year like Levi, people who are far from God, who have been brought near because of Jesus. God, would you you use us that way in 2018? We ask it all in the good name of Jesus. Amen.